Okay. And I need to say, I went to my old church last week because they were full. Okay, once Bob gets settled, we'll start. <laughs> I'm going to sit up right, right here on this side. Okay. Yeah, because I like to shake it up a little bit, you know, and besides that, I can keep it cold. Well, I thought it was the anxious bench where the people came up who need to be saved. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that's not the case with you, Bob. All right, let's start our time together with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've made for our rest and for your worship, that we might remember what's been done for us in Jesus Christ, we might be filled with hope for the future in him, that we might face the week ahead in the sure knowledge that we belong to him Uh, out of grace. You've given us the gift of faith. Through that gift, we've been saved and united to our Savior, and he'll maintain us in that salvation to the end. We're thankful for him. We're thankful for his saving work. It is our only hope, and we give you all the glory. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to look today at the difficult uh, doctrine of reprobation. Um, so if you turn in your uh, Psalter hymnals in the back to page 900, um, if you're using a Forms and Prayers book, it's on page 262, and if you're using the little book, I think it's on page 150. Bless you. Um, and so we're going to talk about this, this doctrine that Calvin called the awful decree Um, It's awful because of what it means for those who are under the judgment of God. And so we want to think about the decree of reprobation together. Um, Before we do that, I want to read from God's Word in Romans chapter 9. If you don't know what reprobation means, we're going to get there as well. But um, what I want to do is read from Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 6, and reading through verse 23. This is God's own word. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? 
Shall what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Um, I'll, I'll stop the reading there. This is a very difficult doctrine. Um, it's the other side of predestination. We usually talk about predestination in two ways. One being election, those who've been chosen to be saved, and the other part that we tend to call reprobation, which is referring to those who the Lord has decided to pass over and to leave in their condemnation. And that's why sometimes you'll meet people who will say to you, well, I believe in predestination, but not double predestination. Um, And what they mean is that they believe that God does this first one. He does the electing of his people, but he doesn't do this. He doesn't reprobate the non-elect. He doesn't make a decision about these people. So it's almost as if God makes only one decision. Uh, The rest, he just doesn't make a decision or leaves them. Um, And I think basically... The scriptures teach both aspects of it. The scriptures teach that God both elects to salvation and also chooses to leave some in their, in their condemned state and to condemn them and to punish them for their sins. And this is a very difficult doctrine um, because it's a fairly awful thing to think about that there are people who have been left in their sin by God and it raises a lot of questions in our minds. Does that make God somehow unjust? Uh, does that make God mean? There are a lot of people who would say, you know, if God can save everyone and he doesn't save everyone, then that somehow makes him some kind of monster. Um, or that somehow God is being unjust or unfair to the world in not saving when he has the power to save. And so these are, these are questions that we enter into not just because, you know, we, we want to find something serious to talk about on, you know, after Sunday service. Um, but because these are important things to affirm from God's word and because I think the, the canons rightly recognize that sometimes people could be afraid of reprobation. Just as sometimes people are afraid that they're not among the elect, sometimes people could be afraid that they are the reprobate. Um, and how do, you, how do you comfort people like that? How do you talk to them? How should we talk to people? So this is a very important doctrine to understand correctly, to teach properly and soberly for the comfort of God's people. Um, and to defend God against charges that he's somehow unjust or unfair um, in what he does. Uh, So Article 15 on reprobation, um, the first head of doctrine, Article 15 says, Moreover, Holy Scripture most especially highlights this eternal and undeserved grace of our election and brings it out more clearly for us in that it further bears witness that not all people have been chosen, but that some have not been chosen or have been passed by in God's eternal election. Those, that is, concerning whom God, on the basis of his entirely free, most just, irreproachable, and unchangeable good pleasure, made the following decision. 
to leave them in the common misery into which by their own fault they have plunged themselves, not to grant them saving faith and the grace of conversion, but finally to condemn and eternally punish them, having been left in their own ways and under his just judgment, not only for their unbelief but also for their other sins in order to display his justice. And this is the decision of reprobation, which does not at all make God the author of sin, a blasphemous thought, but rather is fearful, irreproachable, just judge and avenger. It's fearful, irreproachable, just judge and avenger. So this is a difficult, this is a difficult doctrine because there are sort of two aspects to reprobation, um, that he leaves them um, in their common misery and that he condemns them and judges them. Um, So some people have talked about a kind of passive and active part of the decree or a positive and negative. And what they mean by that is that there's the decision to leave them where they are, but leaving them where they are also is a decision to then condemn them in their sin, uh, to to, to treat them as a just judge would treat a sinner um, without a mediator. And so... That, that's the two sides of reprobation, we sometimes say. And it's an awful decree, but it's true. I mean, that's what Scripture bears witness to us. That God makes a decision to save some, and he also makes a decision to pass over others. Um, and that's why we read Romans 9. God's very clear about that. God's word's very clear about that. Jacob I loved, right? That, that speaks of election. Esau I hated, and that speaks of reprobation. Um, and so we have that clearly, clearly taught to us in Scripture, the things that are said in Article 15. Holy Scripture bears witness that not all people have been chosen, that he's decided to leave some and not to grant them saving faith and to condemn and eternally punish them. Uh, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, not because of anything they'd done, but so that God's purpose of election might be carried forward. Um, there Paul says that specifically as well. Um, this is why this why this happens, and a lot of people don't like it because it is awful. I mean, it's awful to think about the, the consequences of what happens to those who God has decided to hate. But we don't like to talk that way. Um, you know, we we don't go out and do evangelism saying, you know, God hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. Um, we 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 don't do that. We're we're called to give the gospel, but we're also called to testify to the truth of everything Scripture says. Um, and Scripture is very clear. There are some that, that God has chosen and some that God has decided not to choose, right? And, and as much as people don't like it, it's, it's fairly clearly taught in Scripture. Um, Matthew, we just read from Romans 9, which is a good statement from the Apostle Paul. But in Matthew, we read Jesus praying, uh, Matthew eleven twenty five and 26, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Right? There's a, the will of God was to hide it from certain people and to reveal it to other people. Both sides of that are there, right? The decision to hide and the decision to reveal that that was part of God's gracious will. First um, Peter 2.8, so we have Paul saying what he says in Romans 9, Jesus saying that in Matthew 11, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 8, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Um, if, if a King James Version will say it, as, the, as, he, as it was appointed. Um, and that, that's the force of that word in Greek. It, it's destined, destined is appointed, put in place. Um, it's clearly saying that, that, that they were appointed for this. They were appointed for uh, destruction. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Um, Jude, Jude says something similar in Jude 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master, the Lord, master and Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so we, we have to understand this. We have to understand it's clearly taught in Scripture. Um, it's, a, it's a hard truth, but we don't not teach or learn things in the Bible because they're hard or because they're difficult. Um, and I think the real problem we have is people think that this somehow makes God unjust. Um, that somehow this makes God sort of monstrous. Um, but but we, we want to understand that the election of God shows his mercy. Now, is God's mercy a good thing? Yes, okay. <laughs> Come on, you guys. Let's look, let's look alive out there, okay? Um, no, right? God's mercy is a good thing. There's no question about that. I didn't think there was a question about that. Maybe we need to have another, another lesson next week. All right. Uh, okay, we'll see. Um, okay, so what does this relate to? This relates to the justice of God. Is God's justice a good thing? Ah, hey. Now, you guys can be taught. All right. We can, we can work with this crowd. All right. Good. God's justice is a good thing. And I think that's where we get, again, that's where we have the real trouble, is we don't think sin is bad enough to deserve hell. We don't really think sin is bad enough to deserve hell. We think we should skate on some kind of technicality. Or that the sentence should be lenient. Um, but what would we think of a, a heinous crime that got a small punishment? Um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie Conspiracy. It's about the Nazis gathering together to decide on the final solution. It has a tremendous cast. I mean, it's a great, great group of people um, who play all the, all the various, you know, most evil of the evil in the Nazi empire. And they're sitting around the table sort of casually discussing the extermination of the Jews. And it's, it's very chilling. Um, and at the end of the movie, they kind of say what happened to all of these guys. And, and after seeing the movie, what you're hoping is that it was, what they'll say about every one of these guys is he was shot or hanged or somebody killed him for this. Um, but so many of them actually got fairly light sentences. Some of the worst ones were hanged, but some, some of them went to prison for just a little while and then got out. And I thought, you let this guy out? Like that guy was wandering the streets again at some point. Um, they had committed crimes against humanity. And I think anybody who watches that movie or who learns that history um, knows that these were terrible people who deserved a terrible punishment. Um, now, we know in our criminal justice system it's not perfect and that there are people who, you know, they throw away the key they shouldn't. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who's like, it's obvious that person deserves to die. Um, I, I did a six-month 
term in the California Attorney General's office, and while I was there, they executed a murderer. He was a serial killer, serial rapist, and I think the last crime he'd committed was beating an 11-year-old girl to death with a stone. Um, and, you know, even the people who protested death penalty on a usual basis did not show up to protest his death penalty. Like, even those people were like, no, that guy should get the needle. Um, everyone knew it because of the severity of the crime. Um, and if we really understood sin for what it is, we would recognize it does not deserve leniency. You should throw the book at it. Because it's a sin against the supreme majesty of God. Crimes against humanity are terrible. Crimes against divinity are worse. That we rebelled against a God who only did us any, ever any good. He's good. Everything he does is good. All of his ways are perfect. He created a world that was perfect. And we said, we don't want to live under your reign. We will rule ourselves, thank you very much. And what he told us not to do, we did anyway. I think what, what makes this awful is what God's justice means, but I think why we think that he's somehow being unjust if he doesn't save someone is that we don't understand what sin deserves. And again, like we said before, if you don't understand what sin deserves, then you need to look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and then you'll see what sin deserves. Not because he deserved it, but because he was there taking what we deserved. And you can't even effectively communicate that. Because we only see the physical torment. We don't really see or can't really comprehend the magnitude of the spiritual torment. Of having the wrath of God poured out on you and needing to drink it to its dregs. I mean, there's even a sense in the history of the world when it was happening, God turned off the lights and pulled the curtain over it because it was so awful. I mean, even the sun stopped shining. And so there can't be any light here. This is all darkness. We, we don't really understand the severity of it. When God is doing this, he's being merciful. When God is doing this, he's being just. He's not being in any way evil. And we need to understand that. Um, we also need to understand that elect, the decree of election and the decree of reprobation function differently. Um, and we need to understand clearly how they function differently. Because what we've been saying over and over again is, election is the fountain of everything else that flows to us. Right? Have you heard me say that before? Okay, good. Someone, someone's just striking out with answers. That's good. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fool you eventually into just answering right away, regardless of whether you know or not. Um, okay, so we said, election, God's electing grace is the fountain that everything else flows out of. Right, so it's because of his electing grace that we're given the gift of faith. And from faith flows all the fruits of faith. Right, that we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we seek to be sanctified, that we obey God, that we are glorified. All of that flows from faith. And so what we've been doing is we keep tracking backwards and saying, okay, where, where does this end up? Well, if I track it back far enough, it ends up with God's electing grace. So if the, if the last fruit of electing grace is that we get to glory, then we can say, I can go from glory and I can track all the way back to God's electing decree in eternity. And it's from that fountain that everything else has flowed to me. All right? What we need to understand is the decree of reprobation does not function in the same way. Because otherwise what you would do is you would say, 
well, I, if you end up in hell, that must be because you don't believe. And why, do I unbe- why don't I believe? Because of this decree. And if you do that, what have you done? You've made God the author of sin. That I go to hell because of what God did, not because of what I did. As, yes? No. They don't have a chance to believe if they're not elect. Yeah, that's, that's an accusation that's leveled. Um, Paul deals with that in Romans 9. It's not that there's not an answer to that question. It's that we don't like the answer. Um, that, that's what Paul runs through in Romans 9 that we read. Why does, somebody, why does somebody not believe? Well, because they've been hardened. Okay, well, if God hardened them, then why does he still find fault? Right? Th- those are exactly the questions that Paul is asking in Romans 9. Um, and we'll come to those as we go along, okay? Um, so that, that was your first question. Then what was your second question? What was the first one? Yeah, I mean, that would be nicer to say it that way. The, the, the thing is, Scripture is more clear than that. That I'll have compassion on who I'll have compassion and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. But I also harden those and I hate those who don't. So it's kind of inescapable. It'd be nicer for us to be able to say it that way. But it wouldn't actually do justice to what Scripture says. No. 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 I got stopped halfway through. So... Um, which is fine, that's, that's fine. But I don't want this, if, you're, if you've written this down, this graph is wrong, right, as it stands right now, okay? Because we're, we're going to say that this is not true. Um, so this will help you in your note-taking. You just X that out. Um, and that's what we have to do with reprobation. We say reprobation does not function the same way election functions. Reprobation functions differently. Um, God does not condemn them just as faith is not meritorious, it's not from us because it's from God's electing grace. But when God condemns us, what is he condemning? He's condemning our unbelief. He's condemning our sin. So actually, he's not the source of this. Who is the source of this? Adam, us. If election, is the ever, if election is what everything else flows out of for our salvation, then original sin is what everything flows out of for our condemnation. Original sin is the fountain of everything else that we do. Um, it's, it's the source of what lies behind what we do. Why do I do what I do? When I sin, what am I showing? I'm... What was that? Well, I hope not, because when I sin, if that shows I'm reprobate, that's going to cause trouble, right? Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that as we go on. What, what do I do if I go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> this kind of sounds like me. <laughs> Unbelief, unrighteousness. Um, that kind of sounds like me at times, so where's my hope? Um, but 
we have to say original sin is what everything flows from to us when it comes to our fallen state. Um, and for the reprobate, that's where you trace it back to. So that's true for the reprobate, you trace it back. So as long as you realize we're talking about the reprobate, who we don't know, any more than we know who are all the elect, okay? But what would we trace it back to? We trace that back to original sin. That's the fountain from which everything, that's the fountain from which unbelief and condemnation flow. Um, That's where you track it back to. And that's why when you track it back to original sin and then try to ask the question, now whose fault is this? Because my inclination would be to say, well, doesn't everything tracked back far enough lead to God? Except that God's word specifically says he's not the author of sin. And he can't be tempted to sin and he tempts no one. So if you track it back, you might like to try to track it back to God, but you can't actually. When, when, you, when you find the end, what you find is us. We're the people from whom this pollution all comes, and if left unchecked, would, flop, would fall to hell. Um, what God is doing for the elect is he's intervening to break this chain that would otherwise function. And that's why the decree of reprobation is to leave people in the chain to which they've already plunged themselves um, and not intervene to save them and to condemn them in the judgment. Yes, Paul. Yeah, when, when it comes to evangelism, is there's a point that someone's just so hard that they'll never believe. Um, I don't think that's the case. I don't think we can know that. Because what we're really saying if we say that is, you can be so hard and the Spirit can't soften you. And I don't think we can ever really say that. I mean, it might seem like by all human effort, we've not gotten any progress in evangelism. But to say we've now reached a point where nothing can be done is really not to say, I can't do anything more. It's really to say the Spirit can't do anything more. And we never should say that, right? We should have hope. And so that's why you hear stories of people who prayed for a loved one for 25 years, and they've shown no, no interest in the faith, and then they come to faith in Christ. Um, well, you know, sometimes they even say, I never would have believed that, that, that this would happen. Um, and, it, and it's because they, they seem so hard that they were un, un, impenetrable with the gospel, but the Holy Spirit is not bound in his power. Um, so we're limited, but they're... So we shouldn't lose heart. I mean, you can reach a point with someone and say, I don't want to hear from you anymore. Um, and, you know, then I think you've kind of reached the limit of what you can do. But we have to be careful not to say we've reached the limit of what God can do um, because we never reach that point because he, for him the impossible is easy. Um, so we always have to be careful. So we have to be careful, again, in how we talk. Again, we're talking about the decree of reprobation made by God in eternity. We're not saying that you can universally apply this now to people in the world, right? I'm not trying to give you a toolbox to go out in the world and be like, reprobate detectors, you know. Um, That's not what this is for. What this is for is to say, God teaches certain things in his word. We have to affirm what he teaches in his word and use it aright. He does teach this in his word. We don't like it. And we'd like to wiggle out from under it if we could. 
Um, but this is a reality. Um, that he hated Esau, and that's why what happened to Esau happened to Esau. But he didn't plunge Esau into that hatred. Or Esau wasn't there begging to love God and finding himself just bound to hate him. So one of the things that we have to understand is that unbelief and hell don't flow from the decree of reprobation the way, the way everything that's glorious flows from election. If we we're going to say, where does this flow from? It flows from Adam and original sin. It flows from who we are by nature. Re- reprobation is just the natural state we'd all be in if God had not intervened. Um, and so we're, we're going to answer. We're going to respond to some of the objections to this as we go on. So I'm going to go on. But if if you if I don't talk about what you're what you're thinking of, um, please please bring it bring it up. Um, so we we want to make sure that we understand that this they don't function the same way. And God does not delight in reprobation the way He delights in election. He doesn't delight in His justice the same way He delights in His mercy. Um, he's clear about that in Scripture. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Or Ezekiel 33.11, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Or 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The decree of reprobation does bring him glory, but it doesn't bring him joy the way that salvation brings him joy. Um, and God is very clear about that in his word. He is just. Um, and that, that's why we read in Psalm 2, so be wise people because he is coming with an iron rod and he'll shatter people who don't but he but he's not he doesn't want to be that way he's he's a blessing to all those who take refuge in him but we need to be warned that he will be just if you spurn his mercy Um, and that's the message of the bible that again people don't like to hear and we don't really like to talk about that much because it's a really hard truth but you will meet a god either who is just or merciful who is either coming for you in your defense or against you in judgment. There's only two ways to exist in this world, um, on Lord's side and against the Lord. And so that's, what, that's why the church's calling in the world is always to come to people and say, who's on the Lord's side? Right? That's what Moses said when he came down the mountain and found them all dancing around the golden calf. He said, all right, now who's on the Lord's side here? And it was the Levites who rallied around. Um, And it meant that they took their swords and went through the camp killing people. God is still a consuming fire. That's why he sent his son so that we would not be consumed, so that we would turn and live. Um, I, I love that statement from Ezekiel 33. That's God's message to the world. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why would you die? Um, that that's what God is is communicating to us. Um, and so uh, we need to be aware of those things. We need to be um, aware that those things are going on. Now, we're, we're sort of out of time. Um, so I'd wanted to go further through than just Article 15, but maybe I'll stop there in case there are any questions. Um, but we're going to keep talking about this, and, and mostly this is the article sort of explaining reprobation, 
And then as we go on, there will be some, some further explanation of, of questions that are usually raised. So question 16 will say, how do we respond to this teaching? That's a very important question. Article 17 will deal with those children who die in infancy, which is a, a question that maybe kind of seems like it comes at us out of the blue. Like, I thought we were talking about reprobation and election. Why are we now talking about children dying in infancy? That's a very particular question. Um, well, it, it touches on the reality of election. How do I know what, what's true of my children? If a child that dies in infancy, does that child belong to the Lord or does it not belong to the Lord? Do we not know? Um, and so there's such comfort in an understanding God's electing decrees and his salvation and his covenant so that we can say for sure that children of believers um, are elect and saved. We shouldn't doubt that. Um, now, how can we come to that kind of assurance? Um, you might be saying, I thought you said we couldn't be sure about any of this. Um, we can be sure about that, and I'll, I'll tell you why next time. So come back. Um, we'll, we'll go over that. All right, let's, uh, let's close our time with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity that it gives us about uh, the things that we have studied this morning. We confess, Lord, that they are hard things and that they are in many ways awful things. And we recognize as we deal with them that's because sin is awful. Um, it's an awful offense against you who have only done us and the world any good to return to you evil for good. And we thank you that you did not return to, the, to this world evil for evil, but sent Jesus into the world to save the world. That in response to that great evil, you sent a greater Savior. And we thank you that you gave us a Savior and that he was willing to come and to suffer on the cross the consequences of our evil. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become in him the righteousness of God. And when we look to the cross and we see the evil that befell him there in his body, but particularly in his soul, we, we wince because we know that it's what we deserve and that he was there for us. And when we're tempted to think that you are somehow unjust when you judge sinners, may we look to the cross and see what sin costs and the wrath that it deserves. And seeing that, may we also see the greatness of our salvation. So although we confess these things are true concerning your doctrine of election and your doctrine of reprobation, we pray that all here might concern themselves with, do they believe in Jesus Christ? And that they might know for certain that believing in him they have life in his name and that they might live in, in fellowship with him without fear. So help us in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You're dismissed.